Good morning. Working our way through Matthew, and we are into this wonderful spot called the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sections in all of Scripture, much less the book of Matthew. And last week we talked about kind of the structure of Matthew. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, we took our time just with two verses and talked about how Matthew is taking this person of Jesus Christ and presenting him before the world and saying he's greater than Abraham, he's greater than David, he's even greater than Moses. And then he goes through this comparison of showing how he's greater than Moses in terms of his deliverance from slavery, in terms of rescuing us from bondage, and all those kinds of things. And then Matthew goes even more particular with it, and he organizes his book in such a way as a further comparison with Matthew, I mean with Moses. And he takes then five sections of the book of Matthew and arranges them kind of like the five books of the Torah. And he takes these big sections where Jesus will do some things, interact with some people, and then he gives a big teaching section, and it happens five different times throughout the book. The Sermon on the Mount is the first of those five, and by far the most famous. Then he concludes at the end of the book by this Passover meal, showing how it's a new beginning. The Passover has now been changed forever um, with Jesus Christ, and that Uh, Then there's this little twist that happens in that Christ rises from the dead and um, is declared the Messiah. And we talked about what does it mean to be blessed because this is where we get it messed up. And our definition for bless is to project good on someone. If you were to bless someone, besides the sneeze, um, you would be projecting good. You're, You're asking for goodness over them the highest possible type for human beings to be to live in this blessed. And, and what Jesus does in the Beatitudes, which is what we're going to hit today, is he basically describes for us who is blessed. And he blows up the, the present day for Jesus, the first century understanding of who is blessed. And it still challenges us actually today. If you want to know how you can be blessed, in, Rome, in Romans chapter 4, it says, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven. Blessed are those whose sins are covered over or hidden away. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Blessing, true blessing, is in Jesus Christ. But we almost always skip the Beatitudes. I mean, when we open up our Bible and we go to Matthew, um, We'll kind of cruise through the, the Christmas story, and we love hearing about John the Baptist, possibly, and, and then we hear Jesus begin to preach, and now that's good, but then we get to this part of, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and we're like, what? What? And we realize, as we just kind of look down in the book, that, oh yeah, don't get mad, and here's how to do it, and, and don't, don't commit adultery. Oh, oh that's, that's what I'm going to run to. So we skip the Beatitudes most of the time, or just give them a cursory reading, and then we get to the applicational part of the sermon. But basically what Jesus is going to do is say, you need to understand this, otherwise what follows will sound like another moral requirement to work your way to God. And that is not what I'm talking about. I did not come to just take what Moses did and just kind of explain it and make it clearer. I'm going to blow that system up, honoring the word, but moving it in a deeper, in a more crazy under, uh, way. If, if, 
learn, what we can learn from the Sermon on the Mount is that Jesus wants the Christian life to look in the most detailed, specific, concrete, behavioral way that we rush past, we, what we do is we rush past the Beatitudes and we get to these kinds of things that say, oh, that's what I want. And we're going to get to those. In a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll start in and um, we'll, we'll work our way through all of these things where Jesus basically said it's a wonderful phrase, one of my favorite phrases of Jesus. You have heard it said, but I say. I love that. I, just love, I don't know why. I just think that's cool. So we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. So come back for that. But we get these Beatitudes all wrong because we kind of skip over them. We skip by them. We would probably write Beatitudes like this. Hashtag blessed. (laughs) Blessed are the wealthy, for they will have lots of stuff. Blessed are the comforted, for they'll be comfortable. Blessed are the strong, for they will win. Blessed are those who thirst for position and power, for they will be the boss. Blessed are the manipulators, for they will get their way. Blessed are the pure in purpose, for they will achieve. Blessed are the mouthpieces for the culture wars, for they will have the most followers. And blessed are those who are promoted and famous, for theirs is the kingdom of this world. We get this all wrong. Who is blessed? And what does it mean for us? Now, here's here's a bunch of beatitudes. We don't have time to go through all of them. So because I'm preaching, I get to pick. So, but there might be something that pricks your interest and you say, I'm going to go back and spend time with blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm going to spend some time there for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if that happens, just make a little note, make a mental image, tell somebody to hold you accountable. I'm going to concentrate on something else. There might be something that comes to you. So let me pray for us. And then we are going to work our way. Well, I'll read them all to you. And then we're going to land on two specific ones. Father, we have already declared that you are worthy, and we affirm that by saying amen around it. And so as we gather, would you break through some of our misconceptions of how we understand what it is to live a life that pleases you? This is difficult work for us, difficult topics. We need your help. And as we gather, we're mindful, Father, that we're not the only church gathering. So I pray for Awakening Church this morning as they had to set up to to meet. They're essentially without a home that's their own. Pray there'd be a sense of encouragement for them. I pray for Garden City Church, their pastor, Justin, that they would be also be encouraged, being rained out last weekend, that this weekend with the clear weather, there would be a deeper sense of, of celebration for them. And then for my buddy Ken Foreman over at Cathedral, I ask you to empower his words, that his community would be moved towards Jesus. And I ask you to take our time Use it for our good that we might become more like Jesus. And we pray in his name.
Amen. So Jesus, before he begins all of the applicational stuff, he's going to take some time and say, I'm, I disagree. He's basically declaring, I disagree with the Pharisees' interpretation of the law. They have said that in order to walk with God and be blessed, that you have to do this, do this, do this. And in fact, they came up with not only just the Ten Commandments, but 600 plus more laws to go along with it. And they were strict about it. And, they, and Jesus is saying, that is not what God wants. Just to show you that's not what God wants. Let me show you who is blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To be blessed in the poor of spirit is a recognition that before an almighty, holy God, we have nothing to offer, and we fall upon the grace. We can't do enough self-help to make us worthy. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Luke, in Luke chapter 6, he has a kind of mini version of the Beatitudes that he recorded, and he calls this group of people the weeping ones. Blessed are the weeping ones, for they will be comforted. We're going to spend some time on that one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek is a word that I dislike really strongly. Okay, let me just admit to you that when I hear the word meek, I think of wet bread. You know how nasty wet bread is? And how it's unable to function in any way? It can't hold anything. You can't butter it. You can't spread on it. You can't make a sandwich out of it. That's what I think of when I think of meek. And that is not the word here. Meek is actually strength under authority. Strength under authority. Think of a horse. Once trained, is now under the bit, and it goes wherever the rider, hopefully, intends for it to go. Still has all the strength that from before it was broken and trained, but is now in submission. Blessed are the meek, the submitted ones. All of the giftedness that you have, but under authority. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those who burn with a desire for things to be made right. It's a frustrating time for those of us that are in the Enneagram 8s. I am a full-blooded 8. I hope you're not. But if you are, the injustice you see around you, I can't even stand to see someone cut in line. Imagine what watching the news does to me. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Our world would say, woe to the merciful because you're going to be taken advantage of. That is not how the kingdom of God works. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The, the purity of heart thing tells us that Christianity is essentially not about, um, not about reformation, but transformation. 
If purity of heart is what's going on, then he's, he's kind of laying out for us that this is not about a behavioral management system. This is about a change from the inside that then transforms how you act. And that's what Jesus is going to say over and over again. You have heard it said, do this part of the law, but I say it's more than that. It's motives and things behind it. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I'm going to spend some time on that one too. If you, now you know I'm going to be on mourning and peacemaking because I think there's a lot of sad people and a lot of people fighting. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Attacked for your stand for what is right. Count yourself blessed because blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. Those thought to be out of favor, just a quick, casual, simple reading of the Beatitudes, those people who think people in Jesus' day would have thought, oh my gosh, the meek, the, the, the weeping, those people are out of favor with God. Jesus is rearranging this whole thing and saying, no, 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 no. Tim Keller says this, what Jesus is doing is not talking about different blessings, He's talking about all the blessings, all the different beautiful aspects about, of what it means to enter the kingdom of God. All these blessings are essentially the same thing. They are, they are aspects of the great riches that belong to anyone who has entered into the kingdom. So these are not eight different kinds of people. These are eight characteristics of one kind of people. The people who enter the kingdom of God when they are born again. In this now, grace is not opposed to effort. That doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It's, it doesn't mean that it's going to be simple. It doesn't mean that you just kind of live the way you want to do because you're going to be blessed. He's going to follow this up with how will this play itself out? And he, after he's talked about Jesus saying, I, I disagree with the Pharisees' interpretation of the law, what he's going to do in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is say, I also disagree with the, the Pharisees' application of the law. But we'll get to that. Got to come back. Dallas Willard, in his book, Divine Conspiracy, which is about the Sermon on the Mount, said the key to understanding the Beatitudes is that they serve to clarify Jesus's fundal message, fundamental message, the free availability of God's rule and righteousness to all of humanity through reliance upon Jesus himself. So what does the kingdom of God look like when you enter into Christ? It is these series of blessedness that's, that's not talking about how you will act. It's not a list of things you have to achieve. It's talking about the reality of what you live. Now, let me talk to you about two in particular. As I prayed through this, I realized I'm not going to get through all of them. Um, and so there were two that came to my mind. And so I want to draw us back now to this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I don't know um, 
why this is true, but I seem to be surrounded by a ton of people who are very sad. And that is the reality of life. I know that that's such a drag. That is such a bummer to come in here and hear me say. But there's only, C.S. Lewis said it this way, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung out and possibly broken. And that's true. If you, if you, if you risk the, the life of love that we call one another to all, we have established all that we do here based on three loves. Love God, love your neighbor, love one another. And two of those three are going to let you down on a regular basis. There are some here today that are in deep sorrow. Those who have lost family, who have lost friends, who have lost health, those who have lost homes. I just went through people that I've met with over the past few months, people who have lost jobs and the security that had taken years to accumulate and save for, those whose dreams have been shattered and those whose dreams have been long forgotten and given up on. Those who have children that live in sickness and those who for the life of them and all that science can do to help them cannot have a child. In the midst of gut-wrenching sorrow and depression that comes and does not seem to leave, you see Jesus and his kingdom offering something and its purpose behind that suffering. And this promise remains, we will be comforted. And that doesn't mean that we're going to receive comfort when we want it. It doesn't happen immediately. But Revelation 21 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. You want to know what it's going to be like once God comes back and sets everything right? He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear away from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, no more wheelchairs, no more insulation, no more lying, no more emergency rooms. The older things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne saying, I'm making everything new, write this down. You can count on it. Those of you that are in sorrow, I can, what I can say to you is the sorrow that you experience was not caused by God and it is a natural extension of his love because he has allowed us to have choices that eventually lead to pain. Those of you who are on the other side of, of, of sorrow, I would say to you that God comforted you for a purpose. He brought you through some things for a purpose, and there's a chance that you might have missed it. You might have gone through a really hard time and said, well, I'm glad I'm through that time, but there's a purpose behind it. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that, whenever you see so that, that's purpose statement. Why did he comfort us in our troubles? 
purpose statement, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Are you sad? Are you mourning? There is hope. Are you on... Are you in the process of walking through that sorrow and starting to begin to see the light? Share what you learn. I'll tell you, a divorced woman wants to talk to a divorced woman who's come through it and still loves God and their family and their work and all of those kinds of things. That's what. So take the comfort that you received and pour it out. You will be amazed how quickly your sorrow goes away as the focus comes onto someone else. Blessed are the peacemakers. I would say blessed are the peacemakers, the people in the middle, the people who on both sides of you are mad. This is peacemakers, not peacekeepers. This is peacemaking, not peace faking. I'm awesome at peace faking. Awesome at it. It is my superpower. But what it's talking about here is blessed are the peacemakers. These are the people who end hostilities and bring quarrelsome people back together. And this is a big deal in the scriptures. Let me show you. Romans chapter 14. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace. Make every effort. You know every there. You know what it means in the original language? Every, all, make, make, don't leave any stone unturned to work towards peace. And you think, ah, oh, man, Steve, that's just Romans. Maybe, maybe it's not that big a deal. Well, let's take a look in Hebrews chapter 12. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Guess what every means there? Every. You say, okay, too, but still, that's a, there's a lot of verses in the Bible. Well, let's take a look at Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Peacekeeping is a big deal. Or peacemaking. Jer James chapter 3, but the wisdom that comes from a, a heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving. What does God's wisdom look like? You think you're getting wise? One of the traits of someone who's wise is they are, there's a peaceful sense about them. Listen, if you would be characterized as a drama queen, that's not good. That's just not good in terms of being a Christ follower. If everywhere you go there is strife and drama, and by drama queen, I made that as a drama queen king, I know, the pronouns are tough, but I, I just got to work my way through them. <laughs> First Peter chapter 3, whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn away from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. 
Blessed are those who are doing that because they are called children of God. Now, there's a couple things that ought to be going through your head in terms of how to handle disputes. So let me help you a little bit. First, as far as it depends on you, Romans 12, 18, as far as it depends on you, be at peace, live at peace with everyone. Now, that's, that's beautiful, isn't it? Because some of y'all were thinking about some people that there are no, there's no peace with them. There's no peace, and it's not your fault. They're a turd. They're going to be a turd. <laughs> there are turds. I'm sorry you had to come to church to hear it, but there are, and there's no peace. There is no peace. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about as far as it depends on you. Now, you got to make sure that whatever your part is, you've taken care of and you've confessed and you've apologized for whatever, but you can't, there's people you won't be at peace with. So how do you handle disputes? Let me, let me spend some time here because I don't think we're very good at it. Our typical response to someone we disagree with is we delete them. We get rid of them. We, 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 we separate from them. Matthew chapter 5 is, talks about how do you handle disputes. Now, let me just warn you before, before I read this. You ain't going to like it. Okay? But don't get mad at me. Don't. It's, no, there's no sense. This is Jesus here. So if you want to argue with Jesus, just make a note, take it home, argue with the man. Okay? You have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, have you heard me say that? This is in the Sermon on the Mount, a little bit later in chapter 5. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. Now, there's a, there's a nuance here in that if we were fighting, I wouldn't hit you on the right cheek if I'm trying to hurt you. My right would connect with your left. I would hit you on the left. The idea of hitting hit on the right cheek is that it's a backhanded slap. It's a, I'm not saying that somebody starts to beat on you with intention to beat you, that you should just sit there. That's not what we're saying here. If someone slaps you across your right cheek, Turn the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand him your coat. Anyone forces you to go one mile, which was a rule among Romans in Palestine at the time of Jesus. Anytime a soldier was going anywhere and he didn't want to carry all his armor and his weapons and all that kind of stuff for his food or his sack, he could hand it to a Jew anytime he wanted and say, carry this for a mile. And they had to stop whatever they were doing. They had to carry it for a mile. That was the law. And Jesus is saying, don't, don't stop at a mile. Carry that sucker for two. Just freak that Roman dude out. <laughs> Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn from the one who wants to borrow from you. How do you handle disputes with people outside of the family of God? You surrender. You let them win. Now, you don't constantly necessarily expose yourself to harm, 
You should avoid harm. I'm not saying that you should let people hit on you or beat on you or verbally abuse you and stuff like that. At some point, you say, I've tried. I'm going to step away. But our initial reaction is, is that we don't defend our rights. We don't argue the point. This is, listen, you don't fight for your spot in the line, in the traffic. Anybody do that besides me? I'm awful afraid somebody's going to get one car ahead of me. I don't know why. You don't do that. Bless you. Kinda. <laughs> Those people who you have disputes with outside of the church, you stop trying to win. You let them win. How do you handle disputes with those who are inside of the church of the family of God? You have a dispute with somebody who says that they're a Christian? There's a really, Jesus later on in this book in Matthew chapter 18 said there's a real distinct, specific way of going about confronting those folks. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Matthew 18 verse 15. And if they listen to you, you've won your brother or sister over. If they won't listen, then Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Now, what does this look like? The first, the first one is go and show. That's the first level. Somebody hurts you and they're a Christian. If they're a non-Christian and somebody hurts you, you just say, well, okay, I'll be more careful around them. If they're a Christian, you go and tell them, hey, um, you hurt me. When you did this, when you said this, when you, you did this action, when it hurt me. And I don't want us to be divided. So I wanted to tell you, a lot of times, actually more times than not, when faced with some pain that I've caused to somebody else, I will immediately be repentant of that and sorrowful. I probably was unaware of the pain that I caused. There are some in this room I have done that to. And you have lovingly come to me and said, hey, when you, you know when you said turd in that sermon? Um, really bugged me. And I said, okay. You're right. That's probably not appropriate. I should have said drut, which is turd backwards. <laughs> anyway, this is not going on the internet, I can tell you right now. We're going to... We're going to have to use a second service on this one. But you go and show. Go and show them the offense gently, with caution, not judgment, not anger. And hopefully they will say, you're right, I was wrong. And it, it's mended. And it's, it's easy. We don't, it takes a lot of courage. We don't usually do it. You're not good at this, probably. Neither am I. I live with this lie all the time. And the lie is, it'll get better with time. It's not a big deal. After you go and show and they say, you know what, you're wrong. I didn't do that. I'm not, I don't know what you're talking about. Then you take a witness along with you and say, they saw it. They've seen it. And um, usually with a witness, the, the person will say, oh, gosh, I was unaware. And then if it doesn't work that way, then you will take it to someone in the church who can 
who the extent of the offense will give oversight to it. So what do I mean by that? By, like if it's in your life group and you have a problem, then you take it to your shepherd. If it's, if it's in a ministry, then you take it to the person who leads that ministry. If it's church-wide, heaven forbid that someone like me does a mistake that's church-wide, then it would go church-wide. And you would work your way through. It almost never gets to the third level if you'll be faithful to go through the first two. You'll save yourself a lot of energy, and the church will save themselves a lot of energy and a lot of focus towards doing what we're supposed to be doing if we'll stop fighting among ourselves. Blessed are the peacemakers. Some of you need to go and make peace. Okay, let me close up. For those who are hurting, first of all, what I'm going to say is going to sound calloused and flippant because you're in deep pain and I recognize that. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, and you are in a time of weeping, and it's difficult. It's super hard. Let me just kind of share with you what happened in the last 10 days for me. In the last 10 days, I've been with three people who are, who are very, very sorrowful, who are hurting tremendously, and then I did one memorial funeral. Okay. There's, there's not, there is not a switch that you can flip when things go crappy that will bring comfort to you. If you are not living in the reality of Jesus before the pain comes, the pain will swamp you and almost drown you. Listen to me, men and women. I don't want all three meetings where people who were Christians, who, in my estimation, were walking on a regular basis through the disciplines that causes their faith to grow, and then something really bad happened, and they pulled on resources like, where is Jesus? Why isn't he flooding me with peace? Why isn't he giving me the things I need because of this situation? Listen, it doesn't happen that way. I don't know what else to tell you. I wish it did. I wish that Jesus was just great fire insurance that'll save you from hell and then you could flip a switch whenever things are crummy and just the peace of God would flood you in such a way that all of your worries and anxiety go away. That's not what happens. If you are not presently walking with God, and what does that look like? It just looks like reading your scripture on, an, on a regular basis. The podcasts that you listen to are challenging you in your faith. You're in community with other Christians who are calling out Jesus in you. You're listening to songs that are reinforcing the truth of who God is and how much he loves you. This has to be a part of your life. And then you will be equipped. You will not be tossed around by every wind and, and, and wave that knocks you all over. But if you are walking thinking that I'm in heaven, that's good enough, I'm going to do what I want now. And Jesus basically, let me say it this way, this is not enough. If you think your faith gets 90 minutes a week and you're going to come listen to some bald dude rant like this, and that's going to be enough for you, it's not enough when it caves in. 
It's just not. You, and it's, I can't tell you, the most discouraging thing is to be a person who knows of hope but cannot access the hope. Now, this doesn't mean that you're going to go to hell. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. But you're not, you can't stiff arm God and do what you want. And he has zero to do with your life. And then you flip a switch and say, okay, Jesus, now, come here. Come on. That ain't the way it works. God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow. And it breaks my heart. For people to meet with me and say, Jesus ain't showing up for me. It's just not the way it works. Then there's stuff you're going to have to repent of and turn away from before the relationship can be reestablished and hope can start to show up in your life. The contrast of that was to the, the memorial service that I was a part of, this woman had a hard life. For over 20 years, she sat right there. In the other building, she sat over here. She, get, she turned in a prayer request almost every week, praying for her family, praying for her circumstances. It was a hard life. But she never lived under it. Every time I saw her, it was words of encouragement, words of affirmation, words of hope for the things that she was praying for. I want that for you. Life is going to cave in sometimes. And I want you to have the hope that Christ promises his children. Dallas Willard said this. It's really funny. Does Jesus only enable me to make the cut when I die? Or to know what to protest or how to vote or who to agitate nor how to organize? It is good to know that when I die, all will be well. But is there any good news for life? If I had to choose, I would rather have a car that runs than good insurance on a car that doesn't. You hearing that? Some of y'all got insurance policies on a faith that doesn't walk with you from day to day. So for those who are hurting, choose hope. Introduce the disciplines into your life. If you're not hurting, now's the time to get it. The worst time to talk about money is when you're broke. Do you know that? That's the worst time in a relationship to talk about money is when you don't have any. The worst place to learn about hope and goodness and faith is when you desperately need it. Learn it now. You say, Steve, well, everything's good. Amen. That's the way I hope it stays. Get in the scriptures, get in the disciplines, make sure that your life is being challenged and against the bombardment of what this world would tell you is success. 
to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, get it? They will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. For those of you who are fighting, and I got to go fast. Remember, it's, it's par, as far as it depends on you, Romans 12, you got to be at peace. And so start to practice this. There are hostile forces all around you all the time. Just refuse to retaliate. Return blessing for cursing. Don't honk back. Be kind to an openly hostile person. Don't do things that are dangerous. Don't expose yourself to abuse, but just be kind. Refuse to escalate the arguments. When, when I was given my very first Bible at 17, the Bible verse they wrote in the front of that book that they said I needed was Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. When they got to know me and they saw my makeup and how I interacted with people, they said, this dude is too mad all the time. And the very first verse that I ever memorized for any applicational purposes at all was a gentle answer, turns away wrath. Practice it, see if it works. Not all the time, by the way, it won't. Argue with love instead of volume. Give in. Let the post, the thread of the post, die. You don't have to have the last word. God's kingdom is established not on whether you can talk people into your thing. And who is a, who is a great picture of this? But the Lord we follow. Who was poor in spirit and born into poverty? Who was a man who mourned, who was said to be acquainted with grief and suffering and new sorrow? Who was meek and described himself as meek and gentle and humble? Who thirsted for the righteousness that God wanted? Who showed mercy in small acts and even large ones like on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing who was pure in heart all the way through, who was a peacemaker. Now, if, you're, if you struggle with peacemakers saying, I, I can't do that, it's too wimpy or something, study Jesus. Be a peacemaker like him. Who was persecuted and hated even though he did nothing wrong. And this is, these are deep waters these are deep waters. Spend time here. Drink of it. Learn of him. Find comfort for your morning. Find peace in your life. Let me pray. You declare over us 
your favor and your blessing, God. That even though we are messed up, misshapen, twisted in our thinking, some of us are too big or too little or too loud or too quiet. That your pronouncement over us is we are blessed. God, may that create in us a security. It helps us to give in and make peace and comforts us as we mourn. That we might live the reality of the kingdom now, right now. I pray this over my brothers and sisters, please. And in my own heart, make this a reality deeper than it is. We ask it in Jesus' name.